Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we are 1-0. How does it feel? I feel wonderful. If we were 0-1, <laughs> I might have jumped out a window. So <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> After all the podcasts we did in the offseason for us to go 0-1, and, and it was looking that way early in the second quarter. I was getting a little nervous. Uh, that would be a tragedy, but... The Hokies prevailed. They beat Liberty 36-13. to And we're going to give you a full recap after Robbie gives us the cheers. I think the cheers this week is going to be to Isaiah Ford. I'm going to pick out somebody to give a cheers to. He had a fantastic day. He didn't create a lot of space. He didn't get that wide open, but... It was a pleasure watching that man go for, I think it was 11 receptions. And the way that he did it on the jump balls, because he wasn't creating separation, he was going up against a pretty decent defensive back, at least in my opinion, pretty tall. And he was doing jump balls, using his body to get leverage, pulling them down. I thought he had a fantastic day. So hat tip to him. We may be doing that a lot this season. So... Right off the you know kickoff of the season with the, after the first game under our belt, I figure it's worth giving a shout-out to what I think will end up being one of our, if not the best receiver Virginia Tech's ever had. Cheers. <clears throat> We're going to have to come up with some kind of a golden shot glass award or something we'll have to send over to, to the player. <laughs> you cheers every week. But, yeah, Isaiah had a great game. And like I said, VT won 36-13, and early in the game, it was looking a little shaky. The Liberty Flames recovered a fumble and ran ran it all the way back for a touchdown, giving them a 13-10 lead. And the offense was looking a little sluggish. The holes were hard to come by for our runners. And then we started getting going at the end of the first half, and it kind of coincided with a player coming into the game. What play would that be that we just hit on in the, on the podcast previously? But, yeah, Teller coming into the game I think had a big influence, in, in my opinion, at least on the run game. And I thought he was superb. There's a clip out there if you haven't seen it. And it actually came from somebody else on Twitter, and it was him pancaking somebody, pushing him back 15 yards, I think it was, and then pinning him down on the ground. It was incredible. But that first half, I had sweaty palms. I don't know about you. Yeah. Teller, it looked like an eighth grader beating up like the new kid in school or something when he when he threw that guy into the ground. It looked painful. Uh, and whether it was because Teller's that much better than Pettit or just that him coming into the game made his teammates like get a boost, uh, whatever it was, we scored two touchdowns on the first two drives using the game, I believe or at least we got two scores, and opened up the lead nicely. I think we had 24 points at the half, and all of a sudden you felt a lot more, a lot better and knew that you know we were going to separate in the second half a little bit more and probably shut it down. And that's exactly what Fuente did. And, and it almost was kind of annoying because we got to 36, and while it, it was fine, we knew we were in full control, but you wanted to see more. You know, we're, we've been waiting so long to see this offense. We just wanted more points and, you know, maybe our playmakers to make a few more plays. But 
it, it started and ended with Gerard Evans. I mean, that, there were so many questions marks coming into it, and he was aided extremely well by Ford, as you mentioned, right at the top. But what did you think about Gerard Evans' debut? I thought for his first game out, his first D1 game out, it is Liberty, but it, it's a tougher team than probably what he's played historically. It's a bigger crowd than he's played in front of ever by far, and I don't know how many multiples bigger, but a lot. I think that he had a great day. I want to see more ball protection. We all know that. It's pretty obvious, but his touchdowns were nice. He had some great passes. I thought he knew the right times to run the ball when he was feeling pressure, escaping the pocket, and making something of the play without doing damage. But he did he did lay down the two fumbles, which was extremely frustrating seeing those, one on the option, which was so ugly. And his deep ball was not accurate at all. I might, must have counted. I stopped counting. I think it was five passes or four passes in the first half alone where he missed somebody beyond 30 yards by 10 yards. I mean, yeah. that that can't happen, and that can get you in trouble. Luckily, he missed deep, and that's probably the nerves of the first game and not wanting to throw interceptions and having it pounded into his head that ball protection is important from Fuente. But he needs to tighten that up if we you know have any shot next week. The, it was weird about those deep balls because I wasn't sure if it was because the receiver stopped running or because he was just overthrowing his guys by so much. It could have been a little bit of both. But I did think I was kind of had a mixed mixed opinions on Evans, but as the game went on, I felt like he really did settle in. And while his deep ball wasn't looking great, some of those touch passes that were 20 and 25 yards down the field, especially the two touchdowns to Bucky, were beautiful. I... I mean, it was hard to believe he passed for four touchdowns. That was the first time a QB had passed for four touchdowns in a game since Brian Randall back in 04. Can you believe that? And it was probably the best debut of any quarterback since the Beamer era began, of of anyone to start a game as their first start under Beamer or beyond. It, it was amazing. You know, I don't think any other guy had had four touchdown passes in a game. So some of his passes were beautiful. Some of them were underthrown when it came to those sideline passes that Isaiah Ford just stopped on a dime, cut back, went up and got the ball. Just incredible plays by Ford. And the touchdown that Ford scored was just uh, classic Isaiah Ford in that so many times in the end zone, he's made these catches. There was one against ECU. There was one in the Duke game a, a couple years ago. And you can't even believe that he made the catch. He's like always seems to be on the sideline making this incredible catch. And he did it again. And his 11 catches and 117 yards were just incredible. They put him on a pace, and he is so hot right now. He's had 620 yards and four touchdowns in his last four games. He's getting nearly 10 catches a game and 155 yards a game over that span. It's unbelievable. That doesn't even make sense. Statistically, that is – if you did that for a full season and had that shake out, you'd be in Heisman contention, regardless of who who you're playing. That's incredible stat lines. And what what we saw from Evans, and to summarize in my thoughts, what we saw from Evans, from the wide receivers, from – halfway decent blocking on the outside to really abysmal blocking on the outside. The pass game in, in total 
was about what we all may not have wanted to expect, but should have expected from this new offensive scheme, getting our feet underneath us, getting a brand new quarterback up to speed, getting him comfortable on his passing game. There were no, there were no surprises in my mind from what we saw thinking back to what, you know, we probably should have been expecting in this game. We all would have loved it to be even more, uh, I guess, aggressive, more deep balls caught and, you know, passes made in that front. But overall, I, I don't feel I feel pretty good about the progress made in week one. If you'd showed me this stat line of Evans prior to the game and said this is what he's gonna do, I, I would have been like, I'll take it in a heartbeat. This I am seriously impressed after the fact and after rewatching it, twenty of thirty two, two twenty one, four T D is the most important of all, no picks. Uh, he did have the one bad pitch that you were talking about, which was a poor decision, and had the ball knocked out of his hands in another play. But, you know, that is a great start. And obviously he's hopefully just scratching the surface in that it was his first start. Um, it's it's an FCS team, so I'm not going to go crazy. But I'm still impressed with Evans, and it was uh, – it was welcome to just see a guy come out in his first start like that, like you said, in a bigger crowd than he's ever played in front of, and do well and possibly even exceed expectations, at least for me. I will say it ties into one thing, that, and it's a good transition point. His stat line, I think, is also reflective of the run game that we demonstrated, which it didn't look really pretty. You, you know no, what I mean? <laughs> like, it didn't. And I don't know where the yards came from because we did end up with – more than 200 yards rushing, which I was hoping for. But, you know, Trayvon, 13 carries, 42 yards, 3.0 yard per carry average. Rodgers, 3.3 yard per carry. McKenzie was kind of a bright spot at 5.5 yards per carry. And then McLeese looked good late, but, you know, that was kind of more or less after Fuente shut the whole thing down. So it was kind of weird because there weren't a lot of holes, especially not a lot of big holes for these guys to get through and, you mentioned the blocking wasn't great, uh, especially from some of the skill players and, and just from the O-line in general. Uh, but somehow, some way, we did end up with that 200-yard mark on the ground. I'm not sure how the running backs are going to look going forward. I mean, I'm not clearly I'm not giving up on Trayvon after this one kind of mediocre performance. But people got real excited about Shy McKenzie after this one. Super excited. He looked... I'm not going to say fantastic. I don't think the running game looked fantastic in any respect. He looked really dominant and seemed very comfortable on his leg out there. It doesn't seem like the injury is going to be a problem, at least you know from what you can see, uh, you know from watching watching the game. I thought the Sam Rogers. I don't know if it's an experiment. I can't tell what it is. But it's not great overall. <laughs> I love Sam Rogers. I love seeing him out there. I love the energy, the enthusiasm, and that he's reliable with the ball. But he's not explosive. And I think that we need an explosive back out there, which Shy started to show that he could be that. McMillan has showed it in the past. I don't I think that's where I fall out. The Sam Rogers experiment. <laughs> In my mind, is done. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go right there with you. I, I hear what you're saying, and he seemed to pick the wrong way to go a few times, um, 
and just like everyone else, missed a few blocks here and there. But as as the ball carrier, I I've said last time I like the way Sam runs in general, but it it didn't it didn't look great. And and was that just because none of them really looked that great? I'm I want to see I want to see Rodgers based on last season and based on him. He he has found holes well in the past, or at least cuts. And so I, I'm just kind of maybe chalk this game up as it was kind of ugly from a running perspective, especially early. And we'll see. But I am excited about McKenzie. I think it, I always wanted McMillan to lead in carries, but now I'm kind of right there. Like I want McKenzie to be right there with him, and and you know maybe close behind have have a guy like Rogers and McLeese. And I thought McLeese showed some good patience and found some holes late. Who knows what he'll what role he'll play going forward? But I did think when he did run, he looked good. I want to see what we have in McMillan and McKenzie in terms of game breaking ability. I think you do too. First and foremost. Certainly. 100% agree with that. And I'm open. I can't tell what Fuente wanted to show versus was actually showing. Or if he went out there and gave the best game plan he could to try and win the game, the, that question I don't think we'll have answered until he shows everything he has next week. Yeah. Another big part of the running game was the wide receiver sweeps and, and screens we were seeing. Uh, Phillips, Cam Phillips got at least five carries, I think. And then CJ Carroll, he had our longest run of the day. That wasn't by Evans, uh, with a a 16 yarder and those sweeps has Virginia tech fans have kind of hated on some of those jet sweeps. And again, and again, doing them, especially when they aren't working. And some of the last couple by Phillips were kind of ugly. That is a big part of Fuente's offense, and I'm not sure if it suits Cam well running the jet sweep, and it might suit other players better like a C.J. Carroll, but it was another it was another big chunk of our rushing yards came from those sweeps. I'm not that bothered by him. This is not the same sweep that we've seen in years yeah, past. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I'm holding my judgment on it. Fuente wants to... As French mentioned when he was on here and has mentioned time and time again during his Memphis review, he is going to spread the field horizontally to try and create space, and that's a great way to do it. So with that strategy in mind, I'll reserve judgment and see how the performance ends up on the field as we move forward. Let's move on to the defense. I said I wanted the defense to come out and dominate, and while we gave up more points than I'd like, the defense only gave up six points, and all the points that Liberty scored were off of turnovers. So we only allowed 160 yards and held them to 2 of 15 on third down. And it was just a really, really nice performance by this defense, if not, you know, great performance by this defense. Uh, you know, a unit that we were nervous about coming in. The defense was fantastic in my mind. Sure, there were areas that I think we could have improved. But overall, the Edmonds brothers had a great day, fantastic day. We held a somewhat mobile and relatively powerful mobile quarterback uh, to limited yards. And I thought that's been an issue that we dealt with last season, the season before, and we tightened it up at least against this FCS opponent he got held to nine for 25, 70 yards in the air. They only had 11 first downs. And more importantly, 
a stat that Bud Foster hits on repeatedly, two for 15 on third downs. That's Bud Foster's, one of the key stats that he mentions as being important, and that's fantastic. Two for 15 is ridiculous. You can accidentally fall into five for 15 on third down, (laughs) and we held him less than that. I was super excited watching the defense out on out on the field. Three interceptions and a fumble. Probably two other picks that we had defensive backs really close to grabbing the ball. That could have been even higher than yeah. it was. There I was could, a third, yeah. There was a third for Stroman sitting right in his breadbasket at one point. Um, yeah, and he had, you know, he had two on the day, and Edmonds, Terrell Edmonds had the other one. And the secondary really was the story. I mean, those 70 pass yards, like you mentioned, uh, it was great. And the new approach with like without the boundary or the field corner, it seems like that transition is is already paying dividends. The secondary with Mook Reynolds playing, you know, the whip slash nickel and Adonis wasn't even out there. It's I am so happy with the way the secondary looks right now. Faison looked good. Stroman, I mean – for a guy who's been a little maligned, he was making play after play, and he definitely seems like one of those momentum players. And he had that that kind of that high quality return earlier in the game, and that might have just got his mojo going. But he's had these games. Like remember the Cincinnati bowl game where he had all those great plays, might have scored in three different facets of the game. Uh, he's he might just be one of these momentum players where he has one good thing happen to him, and it just keeps happening. And it might happen the other way too as we saw in ECU. Absolutely. I couldn't say it any better. He, in my mind, is as close to a momentum player as you get. And after the first pick, he's all juiced up and makes another one. For a guy that took a ton of heat in our in our losses, like ECU, he really has come out this season ready to play, and I hope it keeps up and he can build on the momentum and get that confidence over a couple games, you build it up. One game's an anomaly. Two games, it starts to become a trend. He needs to keep that going next week. And while Stroman, you know, seems like this this guy who's been around forever. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is only his third year playing. And I said I've said it so many times: the third year being eligible for a lot of these guys is when it really starts to click. And hopefully, that's what's happening with Stroman. And that's it's not a bonus because we were going to rely on him at some point, but we thought Adonis and Faison were the starters, clear cut, and you know Mook's, Mook's going to be a nice option in there if you're going to you know put a whip linebacker in. Uh, but to add Stroman into that mix, it's it's a really nice change uh, in terms of our depth back there. And, I'll, I'll, and to move on to Mook and just say a thing about him, he seemed to play really well. Uh, outstanding game at the whip seemed to be in on a ton of plays that didn't have crazy tackle numbers or anything just seemed to always be around the football and that's awesome because it allowed bud to do so many more things if he can you know play the duties of a linebacker and a nickel corner the defensive line play was also really solid i thought Ikanum had a really good game he had our only sack and one of the reasons i think we didn't have any sacks is because we just weren't trying for them i mean bud didn't do anything aggressive pretty much at all. This was just go out there, guys, you know, play play your game as best you can. We're not going to dial up any wild blitzes or anything like that. And they didn't give up a single play over 15 yards the entire day. Uh, they And they did what I expected. I expected them to dominate in this game, and they did. 
Nigel Williams, Woody Barron. Mahota had a really nice you know debut as a starter. It was just an all-around great performance by this defense, and I'm, I'm psyched about it, man. I mean, we have to keep in mind it's an FCS, FCS team, but even Furman last year broke some big plays on us, and I don't know. I'm, I'm really happy with where we're sitting right now with the defense, and especially with that secondary. The defensive line played really well. There's a lot of depth and a lot of power there. And did you think to yourself at any point with the motion we were showing on the defensive line after uh, false start number five that Bud Foster was just screwing with them? <laughs> yeah. First thing was- that came to my mind was Bud Foster found a weakness. You have a young offensive line, an FCS opponent, and now he's just going to keep going at it. And it ended up happening. <laughs> it felt like at one point it happened like four times in a row. Like they didn't run a play. They just kept false starting or whatever. And it, it was like he was screwing with them. The, I guess the last thing, I didn't say this, the tackling was better than I can remember from Tech in so long. And that that was missing in the Furman game. It was what was missing in a lot of games last year. Uh, but the tackling just seemed sure by by everyone. And... I'm happy with the way the defense played, clearly. Came away from this game feeling better than going in. And that was going to be hard considering how much I expected of this team. But the defense played exactly as I thought they could and should. If not for that fumble run back for a touchdown, this would have been a 30-point win. And so I'm just really pleased after this game. And now it's going to get a lot, lot harder. I would summarize my thoughts very similar, pleased with the game. If I had to summarize coming away from it, I expected us to have at least limited success after stretching kind of horizontally on the field, limited success on the deep ball against an FCS opponent. That's my one concern. In a game like we have upcoming, we're going to need one or two or three of those to really open up the field, rush up field, go tempo, get the defense on their heels, win them a little bit, wind them a little bit. And that's the one thing I come away concerned about. Everything else I felt really good about in the game overall. Well, do you want to take a beer break before we jump into the Battle of Bristol? Let's do it. All right, buddy, what are you drinking? So I got a good one over here. This is going to be my highest-ranked beer, I think, that we've had on the podcast for me. It's Six Point Brewery. It's an unfiltered IPA, kind of a foggy beer. It's fantastic. It's called Puff, P-U-F-F, which might not be a good... That might not be a good beer to be drinking before the game we have ahead of us next week, but I can't say enough about it. It's uh, 9.4%, but it tastes like a nice smooth 6 or 7% IPA. There's something about unfiltered beers, which are a little heavier in your mouth. You know, They're a little chalkier, I guess the best way to put it, that I kind of like a lot. And this one's no different. It's out of Brooklyn, New York, Six Point Brewery. 
I think it might be a limited release. I stopped by a beer store and a guy suggested it to me when I was searching through the IPA section. And it's going to get a high review for us on this one. You like that heavy, chalky taste in your mouth, huh? We're moving on to what you're drinking. Um, <laughs> I'm, having, <laughs> I'm having one of the weirder beers I've, I've ever had on this podcast. It's by Goose Island, which we all know. But it was one of their special series beers. And it's called the Calm Rattler. And people know Rattlers is like a, you know, kind of a summertime beer. And as Labor Day just happened, I'm kind of doing my last taste of summer here with this one. And it's a wheat ale with cucumber, lime, and mint flavors. That's what it's described on the label. And I, it tastes like I'm drinking a mojito. That's what this tastes like. It's a bizarre beer. And I didn't even look at the alcohol when I bought it. I was just like, oh, that bottle looks kind of cool. When I look at Goose Island, I'll go for it. 3% alcohol. So while you got the 9% over there, you probably already got a buzz. I'm, I'm working on 3% over here. But it's really tasty. I mean, if, I was, if, if it was 100 degrees out, you know, this would be really, really refreshing. I mean, I, I love things with lime and cucumber in them, and you know, I'm all over that. And this is really good, but it's a little too sweet for my taste and not nearly enough alcohol. So I wouldn't say it's a complete botch because I am enjoying the flavor, but I think I might have something a little bit better for my next beer. Let's jump right into the battle at Bristol. We're playing Tennessee. This has been talked about for so long. I mean, me and Robbie were in school back in the early 2000s when, when the prospect of this game came to pass, and it's finally happening. Tennessee had a 9-4 and four record last year. They were 6-3 and three in the SEC, and they won their last six games and finished number 22 in the AP poll. They're coached by Butch Jones, who we know was at Cincinnati and Central Michigan before that. And Tennessee returned 18 starters, including their quarterback, Josh Dobbs, coming into the year. And they started in the, at number nine in the initial AP poll. They're top 10 just about everywhere else, any magazine you looked at. And they're favorites to win the SEC East and to have one of the best defenses in the country based on their four- and five-star talent across the board. But as we saw last week, they struggled a bit to beat Appalachian State at home and only won 20-13 to 13 in overtime. This week, they dropped to number 17 in the AP poll that was released today. And while Tech is unranked, I'm curious as to whether you think we stand a better chance against the Vols after watching that, or you think that App State did just enough to piss them off. The latter? <laughs> is that easy enough answer for you? Listen, I think... I've learned from our first Ohio State game and our second Ohio State game not to get too high or low on the Hokies going into big primetime games because you don't know way, which way it's going to go. This is not a good outcome. We can say what we want to about the game against Appalachian State and what it means for us, but nobody can look me square in the eyes and say that them struggling against Appalachian State is a best-case scenario because it's not. Appalachian State's a good team, but on the stat line, actually, Appalachian State's a really good team, and I think they're going to have a great year. But on the stat line that everybody looks at, all they're going to see is Tennessee struggled with a lesser opponent, and that locker room is going to be even more fired up than they were otherwise. Call it the Michigan State 
you know, disrespect that they always kind of tout and talk about. You know, nobody respects us. They don't. They don't appreciate how good we are. We're going to come out, and it works for them. I think Tennessee is going to have a little bit of that going into this game. Whereas Virginia Tech, we usually don't play off of the disrespect card. And, of course, we weren't nearly as highly touted going into the season as Tennessee, not even close. But they may feed off of that, and I feel like they are going to feed off of that. Granted, there's a lot more to this game going into it. But my initial reaction is it's not the best outcome for going into a big primetime game like this. Yeah, I would have preferred Tennessee to throttle them. I think we all would have preferred that. Maybe get a little bit of a big head. Clearly, that is not what happened. So let's go through. Let's go through the preview of Tennessee, kind of as we thought they were at coming into the season, and then we're going to dip a little bit more into that Appalachian State game as we go along. The question with Tennessee this year was really whether Dobbs could develop as a passer. He's always been really good on the ground. He's a really big guy, 6'3", 210, big for quarterback. And he only completed about 60% of his passes last year, 15 TDs, only five interceptions, but didn't have a great rating. His rushing, on the other hand, 671 yards last year and a 4.6 yard per carry average and 11 touchdowns on the ground. He's elusive in the open field, hard to tackle, uh, and they use him like that. UT does a lot of designed runs. Everything comes out of the shotgun, and there's QB draws. And when the pocket does break down on a passing play, he can be off and running. He's a scary player. The problem with Dobbs is he he cannot pass particularly down the field. And so many of his passes, and like you see his numbers, and they don't sound that bad, but so many of his passes go to the running backs. In fact, 27% of the receptions for Tennessee last year went to running backs. So he's not passing the ball down the field. And it's kind of ironic because for a guy who's an aerospace engineer, he's not very good through the air. <laughs> yeah. Yuck, yuck, yuck. He, he, he probably needs to improve there. He's the liability for that team in my mind. The, absolutely. They're... I think what's going to happen next week really comes down to his performance and his ability to make passes. Even if he's not making passes that he shouldn't be because he's not a he's not a good passer at all, not making damaging passes that allows our secondary to pick off what could be could be we could put up as many interceptions if not more this game than we did against Liberty the way that he throws the football. Yeah, and here's the stat that is the most damning for Dobbs. When he passed 15 yards or more down the field, he was only 28% completion percentage, and that was eighth in the SEC. Okay, middle of the road. When it was 25 yards or more down the field, he was 8% completion percentage, which was 12th in the SEC. And can we just say that the SEC's quarterbacks are abysmal? (laughs) They're already not that great. So if you're finishing 12th among them in terms of downfield passing, that's not very good. Their strength is the running backs, and that's Jalen Hurd and Alvin Kamara, and they are dirty players. This guy Hurd is enormous. He's six foot four, two forty, and he's also blazingly fast. In fact, they think he might be the fastest guy on the team, but probably second to a couple of their kick returners. 
He's really, really good. And he had 12 touchdowns last year, nearly 1,300 yards. Kamara added in another 700 yards, 6.5 yard per carry average, and another seven TDs. He's even better at, at pass catching almost, Kamara is. And like I said, the running backs caught a ton of balls. But Hurd and Kamara are going to be the story of this game. And I would imagine that we're going to try to focus on stopping them first. It's either those two have a big day are highly, even more highly touted coming out of this game, or the story for Virginia Tech fans that's going to be a big issue is Andrew Matupuaka and Edmonds. So it's going to be one of the two. I'm confident in our defensive line. The question is whether we can fill gaps, and if not, it's going to be one of two things. Those guys are rock stars, or two, we have serious problems at linebacker that we need to shore up. That's how I see it playing out with the running back situation for for Tennessee against us. And it could go either way. Matapuaka had a good game against Liberty, not a great game, didn't miss a ton of tackles. He was sort of in the right place at the right time. Edmonds had a fantastic game, a, a pretty good, fantastic game. That's what I think is really going to set the tone for whether those running backs run all over us or we have a decent stop against the run. I think the emergence of Mook Reynolds last week and, and his newfound starting position at, at the whip is is so important for this as well. I mean, he, he was, like I said, he was always around the football, plugging holes. And, you know, Appalachian State did a really good job of, of hemming these guys in and I'm thinking that Bud Foster can develop a game plan that's going to just focus on, you know, pretty much making Dobbs beat them through the air rather than, you know, letting Hurd and Kamara run wild. That That's clearly going to be what we're going to do. I mean, they have some okay wide receivers and Josh Malone, Josh Smith, their tight end, Ethan Wolf, uh, had, you know, four catches against Appalachian State. And, but overall, they, they don't have, you know, the Isaiah Ford on this team that can, you know, go up against anyone and make play after play after play. Their offensive line is another issue. And when you're trying to, to run the football, you know, we thought that this offensive line was kind of kind of be a strength for them, but it's kind of turned into a weakness with the injury to Chance Hall, their offensive tackle. Offensive line struggled mightily against Appalachian State. They were kind of in flux all through fall camp. And, it's a rare weakness on this Tennessee team. It's the passing of Dobbs, and it's this offensive line. They got dominated. Let's just call it what it is. Their offensive line got dominated by Appalachian State. At one point, there was a pass rush, I think. I can't remember. It was a defensive end, defensive tackle for Appalachian State. And it was a two-on-one and he pushed through both of them and got to the quarterback. It doesn't even make any sense what they would put out on the field in comparison to the talent that they have on their roster. That was a huge weakness for Tennessee. Last week against Appalachian State, I'm sure those guys got reamed out pretty hard after that game and will come back with it maybe a better game plan, but also a tighter, tighter offensive line that can then can give those guys some more time because that was ugly. Yeah, it really, it really wasn't a good performance. And like you said, I'm sure they got a, an earful. 
uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Bob Shoup comes over from Penn State and brings his 4-3 defense, the one that he ran at Vanderbilt first and then Penn State with James Franklin. The defense has nine starters back, including their entire front seven. You're going to know some of these names. Darren Kirkland Jr., Jalen Rees-Mabin. That's a sick linebacking duo. And together, they had 100 solo tackles combined. And they can bring some guys down in space, that's for sure. Uh, Mabin had eight tackles per game and 14 tackles for loss last year. I mean, this linebacking core is going to be a problem. They go sideline to sideline really well. And it could be the perfect kryptonite to a Fuente offense. I... I, I do think that we're going to be able to do some things against this defense, but their linebackers are really, really good. That's what I had in my my notes previewing this. The linebackers frighten me. They are exceptional. Their defensive backs are probably equally as good. I don't know if they really showed that in the Appalachian State game, but I, I didn't look at the passing yards but I don't think it was a lot for Appalachian State. No, the DBs the, looked really good last week for, for – uh, for Tennessee, and we know Cam Sutton, he's a shutdown, but there are other guys that had, uh, I think it was uh, Micah Athenby, like came out of nowhere and had a great game. Uh, they even had Reeves Mabin, their linebacker, get ejected, and the guy who came in for him led the team in tackles, or at least tied it with, with Darren Kirkland Jr. So they got a really talented back end, even though they were placing two safeties, and their front seven, everyone's back. So it's it, yards could be tough to come by against this team. They certainly could be. the The defensive line didn't look good at all, in my opinion. In that game, the defensive tackles. The I think of Tennessee almost as the exact opposite, and I said this in our preview. the 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 opposite of what we're working with at Virginia Tech. Their defensive tackles are somewhat weak. And their defensive ends are really strong. My question is whether the defensive tackles are going to buckle down and play better this week. That's your real push, right? That's that's going to be a game changer for them if they can improve at the defensive tackle spot or a huge detriment to them if they can't improve at that position. Overall, their their defensive line didn't scare me whatsoever watching them up against Appalachian State. And Appalachian State's offensive line is, is pretty good, actually. But I think that the, the, the interesting part of this game is the strengths and the weaknesses of both teams, and I'll say in a weird way, match up so well against each other. It's craziness. So we have trouble with the deep ball last week. Their deep ball coverage with their defensive backs is excellent. We don't really establish a dominant running game. Their linebackers are excellent. There's there's so many things and so many facets to this game that make such an interesting matchup. And the opposite happens on the other side of the ball, which is their running backs are, are excellent, extremely excellent, but Jalen Hurd can't throw the ball, and our defensive backs, we feel more confident in them. So if Bud Foster puts together a scheme that works, that forces him to to run the ball, I mean to pass the ball, then I feel confident in that in that position more so than I have in any other game. But the matchup is really exceptional in that the weaknesses are the strengths of the other team and vice versa. So it could be really 
really interesting. I think it leans a little bit to Virginia Tech's favor when you do the matchups, only because I have more confidence in our defensive backs than I do in Tennessee's passing game. When you said the thing about the D-line, they didn't have a good day. Uh, the, the Tennessee defensive line did not have a good day against Appalachian State, uh, but they still are so talented. I can't imagine we'll see a repeat performance of that. Derek Barnett's an absolute monster. Their defensive end is probably the best pass rusher in the SEC. He had 10 sacks last year and 12 and a half tackles for loss. In 16 SEC games in Derek Barnett's career, he's had 17 sacks and 27 tackles for loss. Think about that. He is producing like crazy in the biggest games, pretty much. Um, Corey Vereen is another defensive end I'm scared of. And Shy Tuttle, their defensive tackle, should be back. In the, she's going to be available. I don't know if he's going to play. And that was definitely a weakness last week when they were getting pushed around to the tune of 184 yards on the ground by Appalachian State. I mean, that should not happen in your own house with this talent, talented of a front seven. It just doesn't even make sense. They've got, you know, Khalil McKenzie, a defensive tackle, 6'3", 325. Like, where was he at? You know, like, what was what was going on with him? What was going on with all these guys? I mean, they didn't have Tuttle, but, you know, they, they, they're stacked. So I, I don't expect to see it again. I kind of see it as an aberration. And before, when I was talking about their secondary, I completely botched the name of that kid. It's Abernathy. Um, he had a great game in the back end for, for Tennessee. Hey, it's all it's all good. I think I just said I think I said Hurd instead of uh, Dobbs, so uh, we're, we're even there. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean about that thing. Like us, our our weaknesses mirroring their strengths and vice versa. It's kind of wild. I I have some some generalities I want to talk about this game in terms of how I think what we need to do to win and how I think it might go. But I need to mention their specialists. Evan Berry, their kick returner, was the best kick returner in the country last year in terms of average and had three touchdowns. Cam Sutton, the DB we just talked about, was the best in the country at punt returning with an 18.68 yards average and two touchdowns. So their special teams, while they did get one solid return last week at the beginning of the half and the beginning of the second half, they can do that every time. They are really, really scary this these this duo of the kick returner and the punt returner that they have, and it's going to be something that I hope Coach Shabest is ready for. Uh, we we've had you know we talked about Christian Jones in the, in the Alabama game how how much that came to get us a couple years ago, and this is a much different situation, a much different team. But you know those special teams things can make these what could be close games, and they can bust them wide open. So we'll see what happens. In terms of how they played against Appalachian State, to finish that out, you know, they're, both their lines look bad. I, I don't see a repeat performance, particularly on the defensive side. Offensive line is kind of a hard thing to, to fix quickly unless you inject talent into it, um, which I'm hoping we do with Teller right off the bat. Uh, but for them, you know, there's not a whole lot of reinforcements coming back just yet. So I'm hoping that our defensive line – can can expose that and can really jam up these, this their running game and collapse that pocket and make Dobbs beat us through the air. That is absolutely the number one thing we need to do uh, on the defensive side. And sure, tackling, again, will be a huge key in this game. Yeah, my summary, I had four items. I'm increasing it to five, which is Teller needs to be on the field 
for us to have a, a shot in this game, in my opinion. He needs to be on the on the field. Other than that, this will this should come between game one and game two, protecting the football better. That's obvious. That's number two. Three, we got to be better with creating space with our wide receivers. Everybody was in coverage except for a few fantastic route runs by Bucky and Isaiah. Everybody was covered against a Liberty team that should not be keeping up with our wide receiving talent. We need to create more space there, get more open looks. It comes to mind some of the the games that we watched the past few nights, whether it was the Florida State game with – um, you know, people getting open in space. We didn't really show a lot of that. We didn't get in space that often, and we need to do that this week to have a chance. My number four is get the run game going, and I think that ties back to having Teller in the game. And my last one is Foster coming up with an amazing game plan to contain the running backs um, on their side so that we have to force it through the air, as you just said. that That's what we need. That is going to be our biggest advantage in my mind in this game is if we can force him to pass, that's a path to victory right there. Yeah, and the potential to lead to interceptions is the other huge thing there. Mm-hmm. And we're going to need a turnover or two or at least a turnover or two advantage in order to win this game. And the Teller thing, that was absolutely – that was the first thing I wrote down as well. He's got to play. He's got to play virtually the whole time. You have to make sure that Evans limits the mistakes. Isaiah Ford, I don't worry about. Even though he's probably going to have Cam Sutton on him all night, he always seems to play better against better competition. And until proven otherwise, I think Ford is absolutely going to get his 6-10 to catches, maybe a touchdown. He's gotten one every other game the last four games, so why not? And – Offensively, Fuente is going to have to get creative against this linebacking core. French was talking about how Tennessee's linebackers were over-pursuing a little bit, and I do think that Fuente's offensive design, while it could potentially uh, you know, lead right into a strength of Tennessee and their short-tackling linebackers, I think, think he's too smart for that. I, I don't think that's gonna, what's going to happen. If we were in a traditional – Pro-style offense, I feel like we'd absolutely have no shot against this team and their defense. But Fuente is going to get creative. He's going to find ways to move the football down the field, and it's not going to be in big chunks. If we score, it's going to be like these matriculating drives, kind of like we saw against Liberty. Um, And hopefully you know, we can pop one here or there. But I'm not expecting a lot of big plays, and I expect that on both sides. I ex- I'm thinking 20 to 17 in this game, maybe 21 20. I mean, y- you might have a little bit of a different take on how you think the game's going to shake out, and we'll do that in our picks in a second. But you know, I don't see a lot of points for either team. No, absolutely not. Not with Gerard Evans' second game. And what we just saw from Tennessee, I think it's going to be low scoring. And I trust Bud Foster has watched enough tape that he's going to put together a scheme that works. And Bud, I always trust, especially in big games like this. It's never, it's never been our our defense that's been a problem. Going back even to the Alabama game, it was special teams that killed us. 
or picks that killed us going as far back. And that was an Alabama team that finished first in the nation by far. It's never that side. It's going to be what the offense can put together for us, but it's going to be low scoring, I think predominantly because of their defensive backs and because of their linebacking core. All right, let's take one more beer break, and then let's give our picks. Robbie, what are you drinking? I went with one of my old classics. I've never had it in a can or bottle format. I don't even know if they make bottles. I'm guessing that they don't. But the Raja is a double IPA, Avery Brewing Company out of Boulder, Colorado. This is one of those beers that is much better on tap than it is in a can. It's got kind of a funky taste to it out of out of the can. It's good. I would characterize it as middle of the road of the IPAs that I've had on here. I like it a lot yeah, at, at a bar or a brewery, wherever you're going. If they have it there, I would go for it. But out of the can, it's probably not one of my favorites. It's 8% alcohol. It's definitely good, but it's certainly not great. Uh, Avery Brewing Company makes a lot of great beers, and this is one of them. It just doesn't need to be in a green can that you're drinking at home while you're recording a podcast. <laughs> I'm having the Trogues Hop Knife Harvest Ale. Uh, Trogues is from Hershey, Pennsylvania, and it's all over the place up here. And I know it's it's probably all over the place down in down in the D.C. Arlington area as well. But it's a 6.2 percent. Uh, alcohol and it's very very hoppy it is called the hop knife so i guess that makes sense um it's pretty good I, it's probably a little too hoppy for my for my taste i it's a vastly vastly different from the rattler i just had um and that might be contributing to like why i'm i'm having a hard time grasping exactly what it tastes like but uh it's just a really hoppy harvest ale and i like it i'm not gonna buy a six pack of it i'll put it like that well, we're, pick- we're just going after after our end beers here. Yeah, I know. Last week we were doing so good on the beers. This this week, not not so hot. Um, all right. UT is an 11.5-point favorite in Bristol, one of the funkiest venues anyone will ever see. If you've seen the pictures, it looks really bizarro. And I'm not going to see anything. I don't know about you, but I think my seats are in the end zone, so I don't think I'm going to see anything. I brought binoculars, or I will be bringing binoculars. I think that was the general seating arrangement for how they set it up for people that didn't pay higher prices and ended up with just, I'll call it general admission tickets. They split them up by UT, and they split them up by Virginia Tech. I'm probably in the same section that you are. I looked at my seats, and I've tried to triangulate what my view is going to be. I don't even know if we're going to be able to see the Jumbotron from where we are. <laughs> I, I think we're on a corner of the Jumbotron, so I'm not sure I'm going to walk out of this game. It's probably going to take me five days to recover and five days to catch up on film because being even being at the game, I'm not, going to, I'm not sure I'm going to see anything. Yeah, man. I, I'm, I saw the tickets, and I was just like, last week – I might as well just watch either only the Jumbotron through my binoculars or, you know, just get blind drunk because it's not going to matter. Okay. I like VT. 11 and a half. This is eerily similar to the Ohio State game in the horseshoe. You know, 
enemy territory against a preseason top 10 team, even though they're not top 10 anymore. Uh, and that the line, I think, is almost identical to that game. I like VT against the 11.5. I've been bullish about this game since the offseason started. I know that Tennessee is extremely talented, and it, in another way, it lines up with this Ohio State game that we won. And I, I realized that was kind of a smoke and mirrors game, and we converted on so many third downs, and et cetera, et cetera. But it's just so similar to me in my head. And do you remember the week before they played Navy, and they didn't look great? And you know, UT just played Appalachian State, a, a decent team, and Navy was a decent team too, and they didn't look great. And I'm going to go with VT against the spread, and I might drop some on the money line for this one because I think we are going to win. I have VT covering the spread. I have us. I don't have us necessarily winning the game. Most the reason I think VT could have a shot here is the lack of film on Gerard Evans, which, as I read today, Tennessee somehow scrounged up and has been looking at film from Gerard Evans since birth, I think it is, trying to figure out what this kid's going to do when he gets in a big environment like this. I'm borderline on us winning the game. I have us at a loss, but I have us covering the spread. I think 11.5 is big for a low-scoring game like I think this will be. Yeah, I think it's too big, for, especially since we were both talking about how few points there might be scored. Let's move on to NC State at ECU. NC State's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. What do you got? I have no freaking clue. We just had <laughs> ECU just smashed Western Carolina. NC State dominated William & Mary. Their point totals, in offensive and defensive, were about the same. So I went with ECU at home, I guess, against NC State. I know nothing about either of these teams, so that's the direction I went. I know a little bit about ECU. We did preview them over the summer, but I'm not sure how much good that's going to do. I'm taking ECU too. Greenville, going with it. Wake at Duke. Duke is a five-point favorite. I'll do. I'll pick mine first, and. <laughs> only to only to trump you because I know who you're taking. <laughs> I'm taking Wake Forest against five <laughs> points. I mean, how can like their defense is so good, and I don't expect them to score a lot of points. But Duke has some question marks this year. Wake keeps things close. I like Wake even on the road. <laughs> you read my mind. I have Duke. The spread seems small. I feel like Vegas knows something, and you know something that I don't, which is going to piss me off just like last week when you destroyed me by two more games. Cutcliffe has to be able to scrounge something together, even though he's struggling at the quarterback position. And Wake Forest, 7-3 against Tulane. That's bad. That's really bad. Uh, that was last week. So I'm going to take Duke here and probably you know regret it. Um, all right, next game. Louisville at Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. You know what I'm thinking here. Carrier Dome? <laughs> I'm thinking Qs. 14 and a half? Come on. That's a <laughs> Gotta big Got to go with Qs. Louisville just scored 115 points last week. <laughs> I, eight touchdowns, I think, happened. Lamar Jackson, I think, had eight touchdowns against them. It's tough coming off the big win because 
they could easily just underperform, but at least we're going opposites. I think Lamar Jackson might actually live up to the hype this year. I'm going I'm going Louisville. All right, next game is Penn State at Pitt, a renewal of an old rivalry. And it's a six-point spread. Pitt is the favorite. I like Pitt a lot this year. I didn't really like you know, the performance against Villanova last week. Penn State kind of had the exact same game we did um, versus Kent State in terms of starting slow and finishing strong. I'm going to go with Penn State against that six-point spread. I'm going Pitt. We're just going to pick all opposites today. <laughs> and these are written down, so this isn't intentional after how much we matched up. We had seven of nine last week that were the same. This week, we might be the opposite. I'm going Pitt. I think this game is going to be extremely close. I think it comes down to how much Penn State has improved on the offensive line. That Their offensive line was terrible last year. I think that's going to be the game changer here. And, you know, that's that's the direction. I'm not going to give too much rationale because I just embarrass myself every week. Wait, are you wait, are you picking Pitt or Penn State? I'm confused. Now. I'm going Pitt. I think it's going to come down to Penn State's terrible offensive line. Ah, okay. I got gotcha. you. All right. Uh, last game. No, there's two more games. UNC at Illinois. Three. Oh, yeah, two more games. You're right. UNC at Illinois. UNC is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't know why. I'm going with Illinois, I guess, because they're at home. I have the over in this game. I'm picking it at 90, and I'm still picking the over. Illinois has no defense whatsoever, but their offense is explosive. UNC is supposed to have an improved defense. They haven't really showed that, although they held up uh, what many, I guess, would consider a pretty decent uh, Georgia Georgia team. I, I think with that many points on the board, I'm going to have to go Illinois. And the fact that Mitch Trubisky, despite what I said last podcast, came out and didn't really show that he's the next best thing. We'll see what ends up happening. Illinois, right. we're agreeing finally. All right, last game. UVA at Oregon, number 24, Oregon. And the spread is 24 and a half. Clearly, Oregon is the favorite. I, you know, as much as I want to hate on UVA, that's a lot of points, even though it's in Eugene. Uh, they just really sucked. So I'm going to go with Oregon. They gave up 28 points against UC Davis. That 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 doesn't happen. What are you doing? Their defense was abysmal last year, and it was supposed to be improved this year. UVA just lost to Richmond, which I'm sure that went well in the locker room afterwards. I don't even know if UVA has a playmaker on their team outside of on the defensive side of the ball, but I got to go UVA. That spread is gigantic. That spread's almost equal to what they gave up to UC Davis last year. Or sorry, last game. Yeah, I know. I just I had I just have no clue. I mean, UVA lost to Richmond by 17. And this is Oregon away. That I was know. at home. <laughs> the Spiders are good though. Didn't they play for they're, they played they're, JMU and Richmond played for game day last year, didn't they? Sure. They're a good FCS team. You shouldn't lose by 17 at home to an FCS team. I was I was tweeted this out, but like has a power five team ever lost by 17 to an FCS team at home? It, it's probably happened, 
But I don't know. Has man. any team ever given up 28 to UC Davis in the history of football? <laughs> Maybe Kansas has done it, but that's not really a fair comparison. Anyway, all right. That's it for the podcast. I think we, we covered everything. I mean, for as long as we've been waiting for this Bristol game, it's hard to believe it's finally here. Like I said, I was bullish on the Hokies as soon as the season ended and as soon as we hired Fuente, you know, I liked our prospects to compete hard in this game. I'm I'm not supremely confident we will win by any stretch, but there's especially after watching UT against App State, while that's not great motivation-wise for us uh, in terms of like them being pumped up to play, I just think we're going to give them hell. And I, anyone who thinks it'll be a blowout um, by UT, I just I just don't see it happening. I agree. I just think there's going to be a coin flip at the end of the game, and I feel like it's not going to go our way. And if it does end up being like that, I'm going to be pissed because this is a game that we could win. I just don't think we're going to win. Very different. Fair enough. All right. If you have any questions or comments, email us. It's 2DVT at gmail.com. Always on Twitter, you can send us messages, beer recommendations, whatever you want. It's at 2DeepVT. And if you still feel like writing an iTunes review for us, we always appreciate that too. Make sure you subscribe, give us a review, and you can find us on just about any media, including our website, 2DeepVT.com. You'll see it. Robbie has posted all of our picks for this season, all of the beers. You can find the episodes we drank every beer in by just clicking on the beer names. It's pretty cool. Check it out when you get a chance. And until next week, when we're hopefully recapping a tremendous win by Justin Fuente, go Hokies. Go Hokies.